Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Hopefully, for those of you in the U.S., you are enjoying your long holiday weekend. And if you're not in the U.S., you might have a bank holiday. Do they do that overseas? Uh, I think in the U.K., it might be bank holiday weekend. It's typically around this time. It may be next week. And for those of you who are in the Southeast, hopefully you are hunkered down and all of your storm preparations are in place, or if you're in evacuation zone, you've done the right thing and left. Yes. I heard the best line that I've heard about the storm so far was, uh, a trailer is nowhere to be during a hurricane. Yeah, that was that was actually really kind of brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That is not where you want to be during 165 mile an hour winds. So, unfortunately, we've got to start with a downer of the show because this week was a really rough week. And I think a lot of folks are, or this past week, I should say, was a really rough week. And I think a lot of folks are really happy to see that it is over and done with and hopefully things will get a whole lot better. So where we need to start, unfortunately, is with the loss of one of our original audience members. Um, This week, we lost Chase the Cat, Mm. uh, who passed, um, been a regular part of our audience, and an occasional contributor. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much any time you heard a scream, meow, whatever, that was the... That was Chase. Yeah. Um, After 17 and a half years, he has passed. Um, But he was a valued part of our audience. Yes. We are sad. In other unfortunate news that happened this past week was the loss of um, the world's fast... Actually, I'm sorry. It was the fastest woman on four wheels. Oh, wow. Jesse Coombs. Um, you may recognize the name, you may not recognize the name. Uh, but last weekend, the weekend before Labor Day, um, she was attempting to break her own record as the fastest woman on four wheels. She set a record uh, back in 2000 or 2013. Um, set a record of 398 miles per hour in a North American Eagle supersonic speed challenger. This is a 52,000 horsepower. And and no, I I, I got that comma exactly where it is. 52,000 horsepower jet-powered car that she set that land speed record in back in 2013 in the Alvor Desert in Oregon. And the weekend before Labor Day, she was trying to break her own record in that car uh, when there was a crash that she lost her life in. So where you may know Jesse Combs, besides the fact that she has set land speed records, um, she is a representative of the American Welding Society. She designed a line of women's welding gear. Um, she competed in the Baja 1000. She was the first woman to place at a King of Hammers event. So if you've seen, um, I think it was, yeah, it was Top Gear a couple of years ago, the, the latest reincarnation of Top Gear. They sent a couple of folks out to the King of Hammers off-road event. Um, it's a pretty rough event. Um, 
she was the first woman to place there, and in 2016, she actually won the event, uh, earning the nickname of Queen of Hammers. Uh, but also, if you're a fan of Mythbusters, she did a stint on Mythbusters while Carrie Byron was on maternity leave. Yes, she did. So, yeah, she's done quite a bit. She's um, also been involved. There were a couple of web series that she's done uh, some presenting work on. Uh, basically, if it had four wheels, she found a way to get into it. <laughs> so, yeah, she passed earlier this year, and then, or, or last week. And then this past weekend at Spa, um, Renault Formula One, uh, well, actually, he was in, he was in the development program for, for Renault Formula One, was participating in the Formula Two race. Antoine Hubert uh, died of his injuries sustained in a fairly major uh, crash on lap two of, I believe it was the feature race. Um, the incident involved Giuliano Alessi, who lost control of his car at Radion, uh, and in the aftermath, Uber was then hit at high speed by Sauber junior team driver Juan Manuel Correra at the exit of the corner. Um, as a result of the crash, among other things, the remaining F2 card was canceled uh, for Spa. Um, a lot of folks are in shock, not the least of which is Several of the younger drivers in Formula One raced with Anton and knew him very, very well. Pierre Gasly was absolutely uh, heartbroken over this. Um, what Pierre had to say was the he said, I, talking about the, the race this weekend, was I think it was for sure the most emotional pre-race I've ever had because you're not ready at 22 or 23 years old to live this kind of moment, to lose one of your best mates. I've grown up with this guy since I was seven in karting. We've been roommates. We've lived in the same apartment for six years. We've been classmates. I studied from when I was 13 until 19 with him, with the same professor in the private school that the Federation did. I'm still shocked. I don't realize how it can go so fast. It's just terrible. I already plan to see all of our friends who I had in common with Antoine on Monday because none of us really understand and realize what happened, and it's just super sad. Um, he also went on to say that he told Charles, as in Charles Leclerc, he said he told Charles before the race, please win this race for Antoine because we started racing in the same year, Charles, Anthony, Antoine, and myself. And actually, Antoine won the French Cup in 2005, and we just raced together for so many years, and we all knew each other. And it didn't just impact the younger drivers on there. And now I'm, I'm about to go and lump Daniel Ricciardo as one of the older drivers, but he's been, been in Formula One for quite a while. He has been running in these junior series. Even Daniel Ricciardo said that it was really hard to race this past weekend, as much as that is what racers do. It's how they carry on. That's, that's part of their way to accept this. He said, you know, it was really hard to do this. Um, what Daniel had to say was, I'm glad today is over. I'm glad the race is over. I know, weirdly enough, the best way we can show our respect was to race today, but I don't think any of us actually wanted to be here or wanted to race. At least I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. It was tough. It was certainly tough to be here and try to put on a brave face for everyone. I know a lot of people in the paddock are hurting after yesterday. 
I think everyone's relieved it's done and we can move on from here. And hopefully it's the last time this stuff happens. Um, And when he was asked whether or not he had thought about not racing, Daniel said, yeah, last night, absolutely. You question, is it really worth it? For sure. Because at the end of the day, it's a simple question. But it's a pretty honest one as well. Yeah, it's our job and it's our profession and it's our life. But also, it's still just racing cars around in circles. To be honest, seeing some of his family here today, that's what gave me more strength than anything else. Taking my hat off to them doesn't do it justice. I don't know what to say. I could not imagine being in their position. I felt they were a lot stronger than any of us today. Wow. Yeah. You got you to gotta realize that most of the drivers that are on the grid have not experienced a driver dying during the weekend. I mean, yes, a lot of them have dealt with Jules Bianchi. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what that face was that you just it, made. It, it was. I'm like, Jules wasn't that long ago. But he he did not die that weekend. Like, this is, he had yeah. a crash and he died. Most of these drivers have not dealt with that, where they had to immediately get into the car. There was a lot of time where you knew Jules was not coming back. Um, and then when he finally did pass, there were the tributes, but... I think they had some period of time to adjust to it where this was fully out of the, out of the blue. It makes you really think about this set of drivers having a real connection to what Jackie Stewart always talks about and how hard it must've been for that era Mm -hmm. of driver where they would race on Sunday, wind up going to a funeral about Tuesday and then get back in the car that Friday. Um, And they did that for like, at one point, four straight weeks. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, it's a different life that had to be lived. And the fact that, I mean, Daniel's saying, maybe, hopefully this is the last that ever happens. And that's great. I'm sure Jackie Stewart is sitting back going, you guys are so lucky. This is the only one y'all have ever had to deal with. Yeah. It, it's also, I think, and well, just listening to their comments, it's also, it, it's just another reminder of, how close and how small the Formula One drivers are. Yes, they're rivals. Yes, they don't all get along with each other. And they're not all friends. But they've known each other for years upon years upon years. And they've interacted. And just because they're over in Formula One doesn't mean that that's the end of the world for them. Mm -hmm. You know... They, they've been in, in the junior series. They've been in all of the various development pieces together for years. These guys know each other very well. It's a close-knit family. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's it's no different. What was it? A couple of years ago. Um, oh, it was Jolian Palmer was, I think, right after he started driving for Renault. And Sky Sports did a feature piece on Jolian as the latest British driver to come into Formula One. With Johnny... With a a dad that was in Formula One. Well, yes, it was with a dad in Formula One, but it was Johnny Herbert and I believe it was Martin Brundle driving cars with Jolien and Johnny making the comment of, I can't believe I'm here driving alongside of you. I remember pushing you at the track in a pram. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um... And that was a, a lot of a story about that second generation of drivers that were coming mm-hmm. up. And we, we have a lot of sons of drivers sitting in Formula One right now, um, which 
magnifies the family aspect of it. I mean, keep in mind things like Jules Bianchi was Charles Leclerc's godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of very tight connections. I was very much reminded of our time when we were hanging out with the McGinnises at IndyCar and how we would walk around and it didn't matter the level of the team. Yeah. It didn't matter who or what. There was always a smile, a nod, a wave that came from, I know you. Um, well, you know, the, the IndyCar mechanics popping out of the garage to come and say hi. Right. And they, they know each other because, I mean, if you think about it, these guys all travel together. Mm-hmm. At least for the the weekend, they're together that time. And if they have to get away from the crowd, they're going to get away from the crowd with each other. Yeah. So that does foster the camaraderie and the closeness for all of them. And I got to think that it's not unique to Formula One. It's got to be any of these sports where there's sort of a small insulated group of people. Yeah. Um, you might not see that necessarily when you've got large groups of kids coming up into a sport like maybe football. Um, but as they start to get to the the more elite levels, you start to see that they know each other. They've, they've watched these kids coming up that are now competing against them for rival for titles and stuff. You see it in the tennis world. You see mm-hmm. it in the golf world. Those specific worlds that are very kind of insulated. Well, I, I think that's the, the, the reminder there is what we see is such a small part of that piece mm-hmm. and, and what that, that world is like and, and how folks interact with each other inside of that bubble. We see just a really small snapshot of it, but there's a lot more there than we realize. And keep in mind, what we see is carefully curated by the PR departments. Yes. So let's move on to some happier news and some happier. Well, happier for some. Not for me and my fantasy GP. Well, I wasn't going there yet. I mean, we're talking about some driver movements now. Oh, okay. So for the drivers who, who have seats and renewed contracts, this is great. For the drivers who don't have seats, it's, it's not so happy. Well, they're playing little musical chairs right now. So the 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 big musical chairs that, that have happened, the first ones, and, and actually Valtteri, even though we're going to talk about him, he may have been that first domino. But his, I think, was a little less consequential than this one. Um, Renault, as we mentioned last week, the rumor that Esteban Ocon was going to be coming to Renault and taking Nico Hulkenberg's seat has been confirmed. Not a rumor any longer. Not a rumor any longer. Esteban Ocon will be returning to the Formula One grid in 2020, replacing Nico Hulkenberg on a two-year contract, which I think is fairly significant there, that this isn't just a one-year deal. It's a two-year deal that they're taking him on for. Um, Now, we had heard the talk, and we, we mentioned this, that there was a rumor that there is a... Um, a clause in Nico Hulkenberg's contract that says that he can't be replaced, even at the end of his contract, he can't be replaced unless he had somewhere else to go. We haven't heard about a seat for him. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard anything about this clause. So I don't know if that means that Nico's decided to waive this clause or something else. Judging by some of Nico's comments, I'm not entirely... 
I can't quite feel as to whether or not he's upset by this move or not. He has said that that the decision to to do this was on more than just pace alone. And, you know, he had seen that the team had made good progress his first year with them and then good progress the second year with them. Things have been a bit off this year. Um, But... yeah, he, he's he's not really clear. He he says that he thinks that some of this is, is the fact that Renault being a French team is moving, really gravitating towards this idea of having a French driver on that team. I can understand that. Um, I, I can to some degree. I don't think it's quite as big a deal. I mean, it'd be like turning around and, and if Ferrari decided that they were going to promote Antonio Giovinazzi tomorrow as an Italian driver so that they had an Italian driver on the team. Ferrari's not going to do that. Yeah, but Ferrari's also seen better success with German drivers. They have. But going by that logic, Renault's seen better success with Spanish drivers. Yeah. That's where they got their two world championships from, and they let Carlos Sainz go. So... I mean... Yeah. I think it's a little disingenuous that you think about the nationality of the driver. I mean... Honestly, it's about how the driver is driving mm-hmm. and what they're doing for you. And they're also their interpersonal connections with the team. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is interesting coming because we don't really hear about drama from Renault, especially around Nico Hulkenberg. Mm-hmm. Definitely not around Daniel Ricardo, as much as we know Daniel's starting to get a little upset. But you don't hear anything about drama coming from right so you got to think that well okay what would have been the trigger so Cyril a bit bull is, is commenting on the driver swap and what he had to say which i, I thought was kind of interesting here was when you make a decision like that you don't just look at pure pace you need to look at the collective dynamic and there is a dynamic that we need to restart or reset to the team yeah He says, probably also we need to project ourselves into the medium and long-term future, not just 2020, but 2021, and what is happening to his teammate, and so on and so forth. There is all of that, and in particular, the collective dynamic and what probably Esteban can bring to the team. He's probably starving for racing, being super happy to come back into racing because he has been out of his seat for a year. It's, yeah. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we have Ocon and Renault. Yay, Ocon. I'm actually glad that he's going to have a seat again. I think that him being off the grid has been um, a tragedy. Yeah. Um, so part of all of that bits and pieces that are, that are rolling around, um, Valtteri Bottas has been confirmed for Mercedes for 2020, which on one hand, that's good news for Valtteri. But there's another message, I think, going on here. So, okay, you lose Ocon for two years. So the, the other piece I, sh- I should mention is that um, as part of this contract deal, according to Renault at least, and I think it's likely both sides agree to this, is that with Ocon going over to Renault, yes, Mercedes will continue to manage Esteban, but they don't get dibs on Esteban for the next two years. Okay. So if they need a reserve driver, if they decide that they've got an empty seat and they want to bring a, 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 a driver in, Esteban's under contract. 
and that he is a Renault driver. This is not, as Cyril says, this is not like what happened with Carlos Sainz where he was on loan from Red Bull, and Red Bull had the opportunity to pull him back if they wanted to. This is a contract here for two years. Yes, contracts in Formula One are only worth as much as a team is willing to pay to break them. Mm -hmm. But that's the issue is the contract would have to get broken in order to bring Esteban over as opposed to the Carlos Sainz deal, which the clause was in there that says if Red Bull wanted him, they got him. Right. Um, But Valtteri's only on a one-year contract. That's weird to me. Well, I think there is an underlying message that they have been sending to Valtteri every year. And at some point, I think Valtteri is going to have to get sick of it and, and do something about it, is this idea of, well, yeah, we've got confidence enough to keep you for another year, but we don't have confidence enough to keep you for to commit to you longer than that. Right. And yes... It's on, step up or get out. Mm-hmm. And yes, on, on one hand... I get Mercedes' position that they want to keep their options open, but if Esteban just signed a two-year deal, what options do you have? And Valtteri's not that bad of a driver. Yeah, he's not Lewis Hamilton quality, but nobody else on that grid is Lewis Hamilton quality. And in terms of what you have available to you, what you could possibly attract to you, Valtteri's... One of your best options. Well, and here's the thing. Right now, Valtteri is second in the driver championship, mm-hmm. which unlike it's where you want him. Yeah. Unlike last year where he finished fourth or fifth, mm-hmm. this year he's been up there to be second to Lewis. And if you're going to be second to anybody, just being second to Lewis is not half bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had some rough races this year, but nothing like he was going through last year. He's definitely stepped up his game. The only thing that I think could be playing in Mercedes' mind right now is that we know Daniel Ricciardo was confirmed for 20. Mm-hmm. He's not confirmed for 21. Correct. And maybe that's what the thought is. And I think that may be the same with... Um, with Sebastian Vettel is that he's confirmed for 20 but not confirmed for 21. Mm. Or I should say he's confirmed. He's under contract. He's under contract because we're still not convinced that he's going to stay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Mercedes would attempt to put Vettel and Hamilton in the same team. Well... You look at the performance that Seb has had this year. It's not worth putting him on the team. Right. And that's not Ferrari's performance that's affected Vettel. That's a lot of Vettel's performance that's affected Vettel. And and I think that's the big thing is it's Seb and his performance and, and where he's been driving at. Yeah, there's been some bum strategy calls. But as we'll talk later... Charles has been pretty handily beating Seb when Charles isn't making mistakes. Right. And Charles's mistakes, I mean, <clears throat> he's not without mistakes, but his mistakes are a lot about being young and mm-hmm. still trying to figure things out. Seb's a four-time world champion. He should not still be 
figuring it out. I, I, and he I, certainly I, is not getting the performance out of the car. I, I think the, the question is, is whether or not Seb still has the edge that he had three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you look at where Lewis is. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, Lewis just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. So, back to the question of Hulkenberg. According to Gunther Steiner, now this was prior to the announcement about Esteban Ocon, that, that Gunther made this comment. In terms of their 2020 short list for partnering with Kevin Magnuson. So Kevin K Mag's getting to stay. Ke- Kevin will be will be kept with the team. He, he um, they've all but confirmed that he is staying. <clears throat> it's Grosjean is the big question. Mm-hmm. So, according to Gunther, the shortlist to replace um, Roman Grosjean, or le- actually, let me rephrase that: the shortlist to partner with Kevin Magnussen was up until Ocon's announcement. Ocon. Grosjean and Hulkenberg. So oh. Grosjean could stay, but you've got Nico Hulkenberg. Which I really think is very <clears throat> wrong because we've had quite the list of people that could possibly take Grosjean's seat. I know. And while everybody that was on our list is on Gunther's list, he's missing a few people. He's missing quite a few. So I'm 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 very disappointed in this. Um I got to also, I mean, that, that's a really good question here, though, is, is who is your better option, a Grosjean or a Hulkenberg? Especially listening to Grosjean on the radio this, this weekend. And Grosjean, when he's on, he's been pretty good. But his times of being on in the last two years have been going down again. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you've got a Nico Hulkenberg, and I and I get that Nico wants to stay in Formula One as long as he can. I don't blame him on this, but if you're Nico Hulkenberg and you have not won a race, you now hold the record for the longest stint in Formula in yeah, the longest stint in Formula One without a race win, and I think potentially without a podium. I don't think he's ever had a podium, no. If staying in Formula One means you're just going to slide back down the grid and your only opportunities are going to be with teams that aren't going to deliver you race wins and aren't going to, or I don't want to say deliver, but aren't going to put you in a position where you can have race wins and aren't going to put you in a position where you can win championships is it worth staying in Formula One for that? I mean, yes, you bring a degree of experience that can help a team, but is that why you're there? Okay, well, think of it in a different way. Okay. Um, okay, so you have been on the Formula One circuit for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle you enjoy. It's something that you get to do the super fun thing of driving a race car. At the end of the day, I mean, that's what they mm-hmm. love doing. And you're paid well for it. Would you not ride that wave for as long as you could, even if you aren't in a position to win races, but for as long as somebody is willing to put you in a car and say, here, go spend your Sunday afternoons doing this thing that you're 
you love doing, it, in my mind, it's kind of like delaying growing up. But this is also why, especially drivers who have not won championships, but this is why drivers leave Formula One after being in Formula One and get themselves seats at championship-winning IndyCar teams and championship-winning WEC teams, where in Nico's case, and as much as he said he doesn't really want to move out of open wheel, Nico's won Le Mans. Mm -hmm. He's been on a championship-winning team. You turn around and you parlay the experience that you get in Formula One, potentially as a journeyman driver who doesn't end up at a team that can win championships to put yourself in a championship winning team at another series. And we've seen that happen quite a bit. We definitely have. And I would welcome Nico to come over to IndyCar. I'd I'd write him an engraved invitation if I could. (laughs) Um, Because I think that he could honestly do incredibly well there. He is a phenomenal driver. He's not Lewis Hamilton. And I think that at some point in every driver's career, they have to get to that point that says, I've gone as far as I can go. I'm not going to keep moving up the team ranks here. Am I happy with where I am? Do I want to ride this wave for a little bit longer? Because there's cachet that comes with being a Formula One driver. There, There is, and as we discussed last week, If you're that passionate about the sport and you're realizing that you you cannot hit the pinnacle anymore and maybe it's time to step out of the way, there are still things that you can do in your quote-unquote second life to keep yourself deeply involved and successful in Formula One. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean... We're seeing that with David Cothard. We've seen that for years with Jackie Stewart. We've seen it to a lesser extent with folks, folks like Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert and uh, even Jolian Palmer's working towards that. But just because you didn't have a win in Formula One doesn't mean that you can't turn around and keep your fingers in Formula One and stay involved and support yourself for a very long time to come. True. True. I I don't know what Nico's life goals are. We have not had that conversation. Now, we did invite him in studio, much like we invited Lewis Hamilton in, and he has not taken us up in the offer. Well, you know, it, it, vacation was very important to him, and we're, we're talking back-to-back weeks. We, we've got spa this past weekend. We go right to Monza right after that. Um, and then the drivers like to take that week between Monza and Singapore to go out to Singapore and acclimate themselves to the heat and the time. So, you know, we, we don't want to interfere with that. No. Singapore is a very, very difficult race for the drivers and we we don't want to interfere with that. So better we let that flow through its natural progression. And at that point, he's already over in Asia. It doesn't make him make sense for him to fly back here to then go to Japan. No, but on his way to Austin, he could swing by. We're working on it. We'll we'll see what happens post-Russia. Yeah, maybe between Austin and Mexico. 
You, you need to continue to work that with his people. I'm, I'm trying. Those okay. people are very quiet. <laughs> so, and my German sucks. But he speaks really good English. He speaks better English than Kimmy does. Well, okay. Um, our cats speak better English than Kimmy does. Ouch. <laughs> Which is part of the reason why he doesn't talk to the media that much is because he knows his English is not that great. But anyway, other drivers who possibly should be thinking about their time in Formula One and what they can hope to achieve. Kimmy. Especially, no, actually, I wasn't going to go with Kimmy, but Sergio Perez. So on the plus side for Sergio, he's got now a fresh three-year deal with Racing Point, probably the longest deal of anybody on the grid right now which gets him all the way through to 2022, which, okay, great. You've got a confirmed seat for the next three years. But again, Racing Point's not going to deliver him wins. They're not going to deliver him championships. And he's partnered with the boss's son. (laughs) Okay, but... Because admittedly, yes, Lance Stroll is not confirmed going forward, but, like, they're really going to fire him. He's the boss's son. Okay, but one of the things that Perez has going for him as far as what his life in Formula One is like... Lots and lots of money from his sponsorships. Beyond that. Oh. He's in the mid-pack performing some incredible overtakes. He is. That's got to be dang fun. Yes, and in terms of... Delivering results for the team. He certainly does that and does that on a regular basis. Um, But unfortunately, as Sergio admits, he was moved up to the bigs too quickly. Mm -hmm. And the McLaren time probably hurt him instead of helped him. Well, yeah. But if you were not going to get picked up by Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, honestly... But you're sitting firmly in that mid-pack and you are getting all the press for great passing and enjoying the fun that is racing. I mean, think about it. They talk often about how boring some of the race. I mean, yeah, it's great to yeah. win, but you can be out in the front and you are not doing anything except pointing yeah. the car and, you know, performing a surgical laps. The thing is, in that mid-pack, you're fighting, you're scrapping, it's fun. And you have none of the pressure that it says you've got to win. But you all the pressure of just passing the guy in front of you. That's all you got to do. That is your only job. And Sergio was getting to enjoy that. Yeah. In a way, okay. that's not such a bad gig. And yes, he's getting paid handsomely for it. And he's performing for his sponsors because he's getting a lot more airtime than... Even Max Verstappen is. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay. That's fair. If you don't have that full-on racer mentality of, I need to win. I think they all have some level of racer mentality, but I think they have to redefine what win means. Yeah. And and, and we've talked about Kevin Magnuson, his imaginary B-class race, and that's what keeps him going. Yeah, and there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with those mental games, but I think Sergio Perez winning is 
passing the car in front of you. Just get to the point where you can keep passing the car in front of you. Okay. That's a win. And, you know, it does help that he will always outperform the boss's son. So, you know, he's always going to be the better driver of that team. Always outperform the boss's son. And nobody gets in trouble for that. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) So over to Red Bull. And uh, now that we've got uh, the press has been able to gather and talk to the teams and talk to the drivers around the race, um, we're hearing about. Well, we're hearing more insight into the nature of the move and the team is now being challenged as once again, they have taken a driver that folks thought may have possibly been rushed all the way up to the top and booted him back down again. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Horner is defending the nature of Red Bull's young driver program um, because there's been a lot of questions about that in the press conferences. So what... Christian says to defend why they're doing what they do and how they do it. He says, the way, the way drivers are arriving in F1 now, they are so much better prepared from the lower formulas from the simulators from the years they've spent in karting. You can see how quickly Max got into F1 and everyone said it's too soon, too early, blah, 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 and he delivers. There's very, that's very much the world we live in today. The drivers do arrive better prepared, and it's really dependent on the risk appetite the team has, whether it's prepared to invest in youth. Over the years, we would never have found Sebastian Vettel or Verstappen, or would never have found Ricardo. Arguably, Carlos Sainz would never have had that opportunity if we hadn't invested in youth. It's the same with Alex and Daniel, and obviously Gasly as well. Okay. You got I, I got nothing. You got nothing on that? Okay. Um so now asked to comment on the fact that, you know, they're demoting these drivers. And and that piece, um, as opposed to or, or giving second chances in the case of Daniel Kvyat. Um Christian says that he views the situation more as showing that drivers can get second chances. Not that There's not enough people in their program to keep them going. Mm. Um, He says, I think it demonstrates, as I said to Pierre, that look, just because you're not in the seat now doesn't mean there's not an opportunity for the future. The drivers, they know in the junior program how competitive it is and what's expected from them. It's about delivering at the highest level. Which, yes, I agree with that to some extent. I don't necessarily think that just because you found yourself a Max Verstappen that you brought up in no time at all, does that mean that, yeah, the program is fantastic? Well, and I also have to remind Christian that they brought Max up with no time at all, and he went through a very hard learning curve. He wasn't ready. No, he was not ready for the big leagues. He had to go through it. He wasn't fully, and yes, there was some maturing, but even still, he was much more capable and ready than Daniel Kvyat was. Oh, yeah. Or Gasly was. At no point did I think anybody even look at Gasly and say that he is anywhere close to the prodigy that Max was. And let's remember, Max's first race, and yes, he was helped a lot by 
the, the crash between the two Mercedes that took Rosberg and Hamilton out. But Max's first race in Formula One, he won. Okay, yeah, but... And even if the two Mercedes hadn't taken them out, his first race in Formula One would have been a podium. Okay. Even that is a massive, massive result. Sebastian Vettel spent a bit more time down in the junior, in um, Toro Rosso. And, and actually, he had more experience in general because Sebastian started with Williams. Right. So Sebastian had more experience before they brought him up. Daniel Ricciardo had a lot more experience before they brought him up. And I don't think that for that reason that they compare in this kind of a situation to how quickly they brought up Gasly or how quickly they brought up Kvyat or how quickly they brought up Max because those guys had much more experience before they came up. Well, and that's the thing is you have one out of all of those names that came up and could perform at that level. And Mm -hmm. even still, yes, his first race, he won all of those great things. That's awesome. But then we went through Eight straight races where he was DNF'd. Yeah. And some of it was his fault, some of it was not. But but he he as we have seen many times in the last year, his temper and his emotions did get the better of him. Yeah, they did. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. Um so then the question becomes, well, okay, what about next year? And I know it's, it's early for Red Bull to make any kind of decisions for next year. And we have heard the rumors swirling around about the possibility of Fernando Alonso taking a seat over at Red Bull. My assumption is most of those rumors are coming either from Fernando, 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 <laughs> Fernando or his fan base. Yeah. That said... Christian Horner is saying that, yeah, just because we brought Alex up this year doesn't mean that he's getting a seat for 2020. Of course not. So as a result, if we don't see something that we like from either Alex or potentially Pierre figuring it out, they could go outside the organization, which is the first that we've heard him say that in, what, three years? Sure. And, and, you know, he points out that, well, we've done it in the past because, you know, we brought Mark Webber. Uh-huh. And we see how well he treated Mark Webber. Well, that, that's not true. According to Mark, Christian treated Mark very well. Helmut Marco treated him like crap. But uh, Christian treated him very well. <laughs> Red Bull was not kind to Mr. Webber. Yeah. Yeah. So he says that, well, yeah, we, we could look. Elsewhere, I, I'm not sure I buy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he he's right, and yeah, they've done it. Um, but he's also been any other time somebody has mentioned a driver from outside the organization, he has said we promote from within. That's what we do. That is our program. We are committed to it. That's period. The end. So yeah, I I don't know. Ah. Uh-huh. I kind of hope that Fernando doesn't come back. In in a way, I kind of do hope he comes back because I don't think that he is going to perform at the level even... Well, I, I don't think his performance is going to be particularly great. 
And the only way people are going to start to recognize that he has begun that descent is by putting him in a top car and watching him get beat by the likes of a Max and, and Valtteri and some of these other drivers who are driving up at the top. Um, yeah, Fernando's a good driver. Yeah, he put that McLaren in places that it had no business being in. But I don't think he's world championship quality anymore. That's why I'm okay with him coming back because I think that will have an impact on how people view him. Well, wouldn't it be funny if he came back to Red Bull and then about Spa next year, they pushed him down to Toro Rosso to bring him <laughs> up, <laughs> to bring up somebody else? No, actually, I think it would be more interesting if he came back to like a to Red Bull and the McLarens beat him. Ooh. Lando Norris kicking his butt. Ooh. That okay. would be interesting. Can we talk about Spa just briefly? Because you mentioned Lando. Okay, we can talk. I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead. We'll, we'll jump around, I guess. But how heartbreaking. Oh. Fifth place. Could not believe it. Holding on to it. A race on his complete own. He was 19 seconds back from the guy in front of him and 30 seconds ahead of the guy behind him. And, and actually, even before we get to that, because I, I, I didn't see this and I don't understand what they were talking about. So there was a lot of talk at the start of the race about Lando getting a poor start and losing 20 places at the start of that race. But I didn't see at any point under the safety car or any of the other stuff that was going up anything that looked like he had fallen that far back. I mean, yes, he had fallen back, but I didn't see that he fell that far back. Well, I don't know exactly how you lose 20 places when you're 11th on the ground. Well, there's that too. I, 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 <laughs> I was, I was having trouble what they with were that. talking about there. I was having trouble with that. I one. mean, yes, he had an amazing recovery and put that McLaren in a fantastic spot, especially given the, the trouble that, that Sainz had. Um, but what? Yeah. I, I, I don't, didn't follow that. I kind of moved on. I also kind of thought they might have been talking about Sainz. And that may have been. Um, but yeah, one lap to, to go and he had an engine failure and he was right there, right there for fifth place. Yeah, that, that was stunning to see that car off to the side. Um, especially so quick as, you know, right after Giovinazzi puts it in a wall and then they pan out to the checkered flag. Wait, what's that McLaren doing sitting there? Mm -hmm. That was, that was really kind of shocking. Yeah. All right. So back to our lineup. All right. Because we're, we're not yet at Spa. We're talking about some of the other things that have come out. Um, so finally, we're starting to get some agreements for next year for the rules, which is important since, you know, we're almost done with the season. And they, needed to have agreed, they needed to have agreed to this stuff in oh, June. Okay. Um, the teams have agreed to reduce preseason and in-season testing for next year. Okay. Um, there will not be any in-season testing next year. Okay. Um, and preseason testing will be cut from eight days to six days total. Okay. Uh, two three-day events, both in Barcelona, although reportedly that contract hasn't been signed yet, but that's where they plan on going is to Barcelona. 
But that's going to be all of the in-season testing. Now, the teams, we know several of the teams were, were against this and thought it was a really stupid idea. Um, but now they're saying that, oh, yeah, all the teams thought this is a really good idea. This works well. We should do this. Okay. I don't quite get that. I think some of the logic here, though, is the fact that this is the, the last season under this rules package. And that there's going to be a big change coming for 21. So really, these rules have stabilized. How much are the teams really going to be willing to invest in this year's, in, in the 2020 car, as opposed to getting ready for 2021 and doing that development? And that makes good sense to save some money on the testing this year for something mm-hmm. that's not changing a whole lot to be able to spend it next year. And if you think back to 2013, where that was the last year of the V8 powered cars, if I remember correctly, there was a similar rollback for testing that year as well with the same logic. Yeah, that would make sense. So testing is being rolled back. The calendar for next year has been revealed. Yes. And we're moving up again from 21 to 22 races for for uh, 2020. Um, we pretty much knew what was coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, the new tracks, Hanoi, Vietnam, that will be race three. Wow. So the season starts as it has for the last several years in Melbourne, then goes to Bahrain, from there to Hanoi, okay, uh, then to Shanghai. But the big shock, at least to me, big shock, the opener of the European season is not Barcelona. Really? The opener is actually going to be at Zandvoort. Oh. Uh, May 3rd, Formula One returns to Holland uh, at Zandvoort, and then a week later to Barcelona. Okay. Uh, then we go to, to Monaco, from Monaco to Baku, Baku to Montreal. Okay. That actually, I mean, the first year that we were at Baku, we went after Montreal, and there was a lot of talk of that was like three days of travel time just to go Montreal to Baku. They're the other way around now. Wow. Now, there is a two-week break there. Or a week break, rather. So it, it's May, or excuse me, June 7th is Baku. No, actually, I'm wrong. June 7th is Baku, and then a week later in Montreal, June 14th. Wow. And that's a week late for Montreal. Yeah. Well, it's because Baku's taking it, its position. That's going to be a hard turnaround for them. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a real hard turnaround. Then we go back to Paul Ricard. I know you're excited about that. Everyone's excited about that. Woohoo. Snooze Might fest. as well take a week off because we're going to Paul Ricard. That'll be a good <laughs> nap. Uh, so June 14th, Montreal. June 28th, Paul Ricard. July 5th is Austria and the Red Bull Ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, July 19th, Silverstone. August 2nd, the Hungaro Ring. And then we go on our summer break until August 30th. Uh, for Spa, Monza, Singapore, Sochi, Suzuka, Austin, Mexico City, Interlagos, and uh, Abu Dhabi. Okay. The big thing of note, again, kind of as expected, 
No German Grand Prix. Right. Um, there is, according to Formula One, interest in a German Grand Prix some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does sound like that that interest is not being expressed by either Hockenheim or by Nürburgring. Wow. Their turnout has been very, very low. That's the thing. Um, I think the other grade one certified track in Germany is Assen, but they do primarily MotoGP type races. I'm not sure that's going to be a great option. So, and I don't know how, I I don't know how long the deal is with Zandvoort. Um, Coming with the calendar and the new races, and this has me concerned. Formula One says that they want to trial some new event types. Oh, no. What are they going to screw up now? Um, so what Ross Braun is saying is that he believes that the only way that the championship can dis- decide um, what, if any, changes would make future events better would be to actually try them. So the things that they are looking at includes... Um, sprint races for qualifiers, um, potentially changes to the grid. He doesn't want to say too much yet. He doesn't even want to tell us how many weekends they might be looking to do something like this. Okay. But he's saying that there is, there appears to be agreement from the teams to make some changes for 2020 to test some stuff out. We don't know what the agreement would be and i gotta I, I can't help but think that if what they're talking about would impact grid layouts would impact how the cars qualify that the teams would be unwilling to do anything like this for a good portion of the season mm-hmm. you know if if the championship is close throughout a good chunk of the season to then turn around and go, oh yeah, this weekend instead of our normal knockout qualifying that we do, we're gonna do a sprint race for qualifying and reverse grids, and the difference in the championships is three points. People are going to get upset. Oh yeah. So I'm not really sure that what how they're going to pull this off or when they would pull this off. I would hope that they would only try it. Late in the season, like if they wanted to, because it looks like Mercedes has got the constructors practically locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as soon as it becomes mathematically impossible for Lewis to lose the championship, then they could have they have the potential of having a couple of races where you're only looking at maybe a couple of teams in the mid pack that could shift position but even that's going to be problematic. And, and, and like, and, yeah. now maybe you could do it at Abu Dhabi when there's like everything's pretty much decided. But if you've got four and five still fighting, exactly. And and we've had that in the past where, you know, some of these mid pack teams have gone. Well, before you write off the season, we still care. Mm-hmm. There's still money up for grabs. There's still positions that that are competitive, and yeah, the drivers and the constructors may be settled, but the rest of the standings haven't, and that could cost us a lot of money. Right. Which is why they've always pushed back on this kind of stuff in the past. So I don't know 
how that's going to play out. So then your other option is to try to do it at the top of the season where everything's still up for grabs. Yeah. You know, like that one year when they did this stupid thing for qualifying (laughs) (laughs) and it only lasted two races. Don't like it. Stick it in the bin. Um, the teams have agreed to an increase in the MGUK um, for next year. Now, this makes perfect sense. Basically, what they did was they put it in line with the other engine components. More races. You should be allowed to have more parts to deal with that, but keep it all proportionally. So mm-hmm. there, there's been an up to that. Um, 2021 are going to be new tires. Right. Um, because of that, Pirelli is kind of anxious to do some testing on that. Uh, They will be kicking off uh, their first tire testing for the new tires at Paul Ricard on September 12th to the 13th of this year. Um, Pirelli has invited all of the teams to create mule cars from their 2019 chassis um, to test these new tires. I mean, it won't give them a full picture of what it's going to look like, but it should start giving them some idea as to the dynamic forces involved that they're going to need to design to. Um. McLaren will be, well, there will be two days of running uh, at each of the tests that are going to happen before the end of this year. Uh, McLaren will be testing with Paul Ricard in October. As we mentioned, Renault will be doing it at Paul Ricard in September, and Mercedes will be doing it in December. Okay. Um, And the rest of the teams will also get the opportunity to do that. Um, So, yeah. I know your favorite tires. Whoa, tires. Um. There's been the rumors and talk of potentially some new teams. Oh. Um, Ross Braun has said that they are actually going to delay any new teams from entering until 2022. Okay. Um, which makes sense. His, his feeling is, you know, we're, we're looking at a big change in the rules for 2021. Um, that's going to have a big impact they don't want to have a new team start under this new rules package while they're still trying to figure stuff out. It just makes it harder. Um, so he'd prefer that the rules get a chance to stabilize. 2022 would be the earliest that they consider bringing a team in. But the other thing that he says is after the failures of small teams like Caterham and HRT and Marusha, um, that they want to make sure that a team that comes in would be stable and have an impact on the series. And that concerns me a little bit. So, yes, I get it. You don't want to have a team come in and flame out. It doesn't reflect particularly well. But it's going to be hard for a team. How often do you get a team like a Haas that shows up Mm -hmm. right off the bat and, A, figures out a way to game the rules so that they have a, a chance. But even still... They're not having that... Yes, they're stable. Yes, they appear to be healthy. They're not having that big of an impact initially. Right. Yeah, they did pull a a fourth place out after two or three years, which is impressive. But that doesn't happen very often. Well, and I I lament the fact that we've pushed some of the garageistas out. Yes. Because, again, that's how we get a six-wheel (laughs) tarot. And I get that the six-wheel Tyrrell did not win anything, 
Don't misunderstand me. But it was exciting to see somebody try something different. Okay, instead of the six-wheel Tiro, how about the Brabham fan car? The fan car. The Brabham fan car, which if they didn't change the rules to stop them from running in more than one race, and it hadn't blown up. <laughs> well, it hadn't blown up, which is a key point here. Probably would have won a whole lot, which is why they changed the rules in the first place. Right. <laughs> but <coughs> pushing the edge of the rules... That comes out of some of the scrappier teams. It, Williams being one of them in their history. It, it, it does, but it's also that other piece of the development was a bit cheaper back then. True. And nowadays it's that much harder for these garage, these low-budget garageista teams to come up with that trick part that catches everybody. I mean, the last person that did it was, was Ross Braun. Mm-hmm. Um, but to come up with that trick part that's going to give them that edge. And then you have on top of it the fact that they're deliberately changing the rules to prevent those things from happening. And that's what bothers me even more of, you know, you're, you're closing the door to these avenues where a team could find that one cool thing that gives them the edge. And I get to some extent, you don't want a team running away. But the other extent is you're making it harder for these new teams, these garageista teams. And, and it may not even be that. I mean, if, if Porsche decides to join or Aston decides to join or somebody like that, that's really not a garageista. Mm-hmm. But you're making it harder for a team to find that edge. Yeah. And clearly you need that. Clearly. So, 2022, earliest we could see a new team. So back over to Spa. Back to Spa. I didn't have a lot of stories on Spa, but I, the, the one that, that really I thought was worth it and, and, and worth talking about was actually post-race. The comments that Lewis had about um, Charles Leclerc and his performance, not just at Spa, at his maiden win, but... Over the season in general. What was Lewis's analysis of Charles? So um, Lewis says that uh, Charles's results speak for themselves, really. It's not easy for any driver to jump into a top team, let alone Ferrari, against a four-time world champion with God knows how much more experience. And then to continuously, from race one, outperform, outqualify, and outdrive a four-time world champion is not easy to do. That speaks for itself. He's been really unlucky in quite a few races this year. It could easily have been his third win on Sunday. So there's a lot more greatness to come from him, and I'm looking forward to seeing his growth and racing alongside of him. Wow. And I think that, yeah, he's completely true. And and the overall attitude that Charles has had this season, I mean, start, starting off in Ferrari and having Ferrari put out right at the start of the season the press conference and the statement that says that, yep, we've got this this new driver. He looks like a, he's a hot shot, but our number one driver is Sebastian Vettel, and that's what we're th- throwing all of our resources in. And Charles' response was, well, yeah, I need to prove myself and show that I need to be in that spot. Mm-hmm. And then to turn around and do it. <laughs> <laughs> True. And and he's been pretty humble in 
how he carries himself and how he conducts himself. And yes, he's made some mistakes and he takes the blame for the mistakes that he's made. Which, I mean, good on him for doing that. But then to turn around and, and, you know, take on the four-time world champion and and stuff him. Yeah. You got to give him credit for that. I think Charles is somebody that we are going to be watching for a very long time. Um, Overall, though, the race, you know, we've had a couple of years at Spa that it's been dull as dirt. You get that turn one incident, that lap one turn one incident, and then you come out of the safety car and nothing happens. Yeah. Or you get down towards the end and all of a sudden teams try and push it with the tire strategy and tires explode. But we haven't really had a race where we saw good racing at Spa up and down the pack for quite a while, especially in a dry race, Mm -hmm. for quite a while. So this year's race, yeah, while the middle of the race was fairly anticlimactic up at the front, the rest of the grid, there was some great passing going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the three wide at the Kemmel Strait <laughs> and the pass that happened there, that was impressive. Sergio Perez and, and that, that was great. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, and we haven't seen stuff like that at Spa in a while. To see those battles going on was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Now, I've got to say, though, this is yet another race where the producers are really starting to tick me off. Oh, the world feed was awful. The, the you, you know, we're trying to figure out, watch, as a driver is catching another driver and closing in, and the lap times matter, and the lap deltas matter, and the graphics that they show us are anything but. Yeah. When I'm watching a battle for a position, and I'm watching somebody close in, that's not the time when I really care how many positions a driver has gained since the start of the race. (laughs) I don't care. And... Before anybody yells at the podcast and says, well, if you were double screening it and you could see the the deltas on your iPad as you were watching the screen, you'd be able to follow along. That'd be awesome. We were watching it 10 hours after the race happened. And and we have F1 TV Pro, but I can't get those graphics time shifted. Mm-hmm. I can't get that piece time shifted in F1 TV Pro. And I don't care what tire somebody's on in the middle of the heated chase. Well, actually, I care about that. I don't care how many pit stops they've done. Okay, here's, here's my advice mm-hmm. to the graphics guy. Things I care about in the race. Deltas, mm-hmm. lap, lap time, times. Yeah, lap time deltas. Lap time deltas. Yeah, that's it. I don't care pit stop count or tires. Pretty much throughout the entire race. Early on, you kind of do. Early, early on, it does kind of matter if, you know, somebody's battling it out on fresh tires and they're up, you know, they're trying to get around somebody who's on older tires. That, that does kind of factor in there. It's that whole idea of, why am I watching this part of the race? Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that that guy on the bad tires, he's going to have to pit and lose his position. Why do I care about this? So to that part, I, I kind of do, but it's more from the, okay, why are you showing me this? See, again, you're yelling at the team, TV. Yeah. 
No, I'm thinking that what they could do is they could give me lap time deltas, which is what I care about. I want to know how far back Lewis Hamilton is in front of, from the guy in front of him. That's what I care about. So they could put some sort of little symbol like they do fastest lap symbol that tells me who's pitted and who hasn't pitted for that yeah. first pit stop. Because that matters. It's good to know that Lewis is pitted and the guy in front of him has not pitted. That's an interesting thing. But you could do it with a, a symbol versus well, flipping over to the how many pit stops have that, they had. That, that's the, the big thing, though. I mean, they can show all of that stuff and still give me the data that I'm looking for, the data that shows me whether or not a driver is making progress in that. They can still do both, but they don't. The graphics package that they use doesn't do it right. for some reason. Because I want to know, are they going to be in DRS range? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the stuff I care about. I mean, they could have, just like they kind of do, the driver's name, the lap time delta underneath it. And if they want to show me how many positions he gained since the start, that could be another skinny little column like they normally show it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have two separate graphics towers for that stuff. It can, it can be done. But and to show it to me when the race is tense... When I care about that stuff to show me how many people, I don't care at that point. That's not the information I'm looking for. That's not what I want you to tell me. Now, I will say I really do like the new graphic that they've been leveraging lately on the percent, uh, like the chance of overtake yeah, and the difficulty of overtake. That's cool if they will stay with those drivers. Yeah. That's the other thing that just ticking me off is that we will start to see a battle and then we pan to the crowd. That, and, and that's probably the bigger one is, okay, so you're showing me a battle, even if it's a mid-pack battle. And, and I appreciate the fact that we are seeing a bit more of those mid-pack battles because we've had that in the past where you don't see anything that goes on in the mid-pack. And you hear there was some great stuff that happened, but you never actually see it. So we've seen a bit more of that mid-pack stuff, but you're watching a battle. You're watching to see what's going to happen, and then all of a sudden they cut over to some celebrity standing in the garage. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I really. It's great that Will Smith went to a race. I don't care what he thinks about in the middle of the race. I have no interest. Zero. Really? Could you be any less vehement about this? I could. I choose not to be. Is it possible you could be less angry? I would be less angry if in that high-pressure situation where I want to know what's going on on the track that they don't go, hey, look, Michael Douglas is here. Awesome. Great. Stay with the damn race. That's what pre-race is for. That's what post-race is for. But we don't show post-race in the United States. I know. We're not allowed to have that. No. We can't have nice things. <laughs> hey, we should just be happy that we get 30 minutes of Sky's pre-race coverage. And it was wonderful to have them reference stuff that was in the previous 45 minutes of their coverage. Yeah. I, I, I get not everybody can dedicate basically a full day to watching F1 pre and post race, but give me the option to get it. Yeah, put it on on demand. I mean, that would be a logical way to the stop. The red button. Give us the red button. Um, yeah, but 
if they're willing to air 19 billion hours of football, well, they should definitely be able to dedicate four hours to F1. But but outside of that, I mean, regardless, I mean, yeah, you could put it on the Ocho, whatever. Yeah. Um, Which apparently we, is a thing now. If I'm willing to subscribe to F1 TV Pro, and we've said this before, let me choose the country's coverage and broadcast package that I want. Mm-hmm. Give a chunk of that package of, of the money that I'm paying you to the broadcaster that I choose to watch the race on. You would know what data you're, you know, what country I'm, I'm tapping into. You'd see that data because I'm using your app. I'm logged into your system. Mm-hmm. You could then give the broadcaster the money. And then the broadcaster doesn't lose, doesn't lose revenue just because you're showing this online and you're opening up a greater package. I know the, the, the challenge there is a lot of these, these broadcast rights deals are exclusive rights in the countries that they're for and you're going against that exclusivity, but still. I completely agree with you. I mean, it would be nice to see us come up with a more borderless system for broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, we're a border, much more of a borderless society when it comes to entertainment than we ever have been before, and especially when these agreements were originally written, yeah. Bernie. Um, <laughs> so I think that there's got to be some review of how do we do that better. Well, if you recall, Bernie also does not believe that there should be any online footage. Okay, Bernie is 900 years old and doesn't know what the internet is. It's a system of tubes. Moving on. They get clogged (laughs) occasionally. Yes. Um, You may have noticed that even though rich energy technically does not exist, um, and we're now several weeks since they don't exist, the logos are still appearing on the Haas cars in the Haas kit. Really? Well, apparently... Haas hasn't been given any direction as to what to do. So they are still meeting with representatives of whatever the organization is now. It's still being called Rich Energy in some of these stories. But Gunther Steiner met with them last week. He's waiting on a final decision from the company about whether or not it wants to continue the deal. I'm assuming that's with the, if you want to continue this deal, pay us. Mm -hmm. We'll give you a little more time, but you're going to have to pay us. Wow. But yeah, Rich Energy is still on the car. They're expecting that by Singapore, this will be settled. Okay. We'll see. Well, I'm sure that one of the things is that they're keeping it on the car so that they cannot be accused of not holding up their end of whatever this agreement is in that part. I mean, it costs them nothing to just leave it be for a little bit. So. You know, hold hold steady and see well, what you can do. Other than the damage to your reputation for nobody's talking this about train it rack. except you. Okay. So Lando Norris. Lando. Our last piece. Lando, I think, is is going to rapidly become one of our favorite drivers. Well, I mean, he is named after a Star Wars character. He's not. He insisted he's not, but my understanding is he has a great social media presence. Um, and 
he, from what I have seen, is very much the racing fans driver. Uh, he, he is very much a fan. Um, while he, one of the things that he did while on break um, was he went to MotoGP's British Grand Prix. Okay. As a fan. Oh. Um, and coming out of that weekend, he um, came out with his golden rules for attending a race. Oh. So those of you who have not been to a race weekend, Lando Norris has tips for you. He's got three. How many of them do we violate? Um, we'll get there. All of them, apparently. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. First... <laughs> Lando Norris's three golden rules of attending a race. Okay. So number one is hydrate. He says you got to stay hydrated. You got it because you know it, it. It's a lot of times it's hot. There's no shade. It. The only way to to survive the weekend is you have to hydrate. Okay. So drink lots of hydration. Hydration. Well, you know, some people prefer to have beers. Some people prefer to have water. Some people, whatever your beverage, you have to stay hydrated. But remember, if you drink alcohol, that affects your hydration levels. So you so drink more. Wine, potentially. <laughs> okay. So. Hydrate. Number one is hydrated. And, and okay, we do, we, we try, try very hard to stay hydrated when we're on a race weekend. Yeah. Um, step number two. Or, or golden rule number two is load up on the merchandise. Oh. Yes. He says that, you know, you may go to the track and you may have a budget and you want to, you know, I don't want to overspend. You don't want to spend, you know, a month's worth of pay on, on that T-shirt. However, it makes you, I mean, this is your only opportunity to get a lot of this stuff. And you have to support your driver. And so load up on that merchandise. $95 t-shirt, doesn't matter, just get it. You will feel so much better. Do this. And he illustrates this as he is fully decked out in the gear of the driver that he was supporting, number 46, Valentino Rossi. Okay. Fully decked out with the, the beanie hat, the hoodie, all, I mean, he was there. He says, you've got to do this. Okay. And his last rule is that if it's not nailed down, it's free. <laughs> okay. Now, he does say that maybe you should use your discretion when it comes to taking home things that are not actually for sale, um, especially if there's a sign next to them that says, do not steal this. <laughs> maybe if you're going to do something like this, it, it, it's, you know, when you wouldn't be under scrutiny. Um, but the, the picture that he used to illustrate this is him standing in front of the garage carrying uh, a placard for number 46 and the comment that if it's not nailed down, it's free. Okay. <laughs> Just remember, if you go to a race weekend and you grab something that is not nailed down and they stop you, you're doing it because Lando Norris said so, not because we did. Exactly. That is all that we have to say on that. I'm very, very upset that I did not pick up the spanner that was just laying around the McGinnis garage when I was at Formula uh, I, IndyCar. I could have taken body parts. I could have had tires. Even Gary even said, if you want it, it's yours. And you said no. <laughs> you told me no. He did not say, if you want it, it's yours. He said he, said, he had to pay said, for every part no, that came off that car. He said there was body work available. 
Remember, it was damaged body work that, that yeah. they, they were done with. But if you wanted body work from a lights, or, or yeah, actually it was a lights car is what he spotted. He's like, if you wanted it, yours. Huh? You told me no. We had no place to put it. I could have had race used tires. That that I would have paid for, but that was a donation. It was a $10 donation that they were giving to some charity. You right. told me no. Where would we do with race used tires? What would we do with them? Roll them down the street. No. <laughs> I mean, we, ha- we had an HOA. They would not have allowed you to put them in the front yard. It just was not going to happen. Given some of the other things that they would allow, I think that would be kind of low-key. No. You have no need for race-used tires. Not even now. Don't even think about it. Now, if you could get the nose of a car that we could then mount on the wall in our basement, I might be appreciative of that. All right. We'll, we'll talk to some people. Talk to your people. On that note. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.